Amen. Y'all got my back. Come on. All right, open up your Bibles with me to the book of John, chapter 12. A little bit of extra today out of this passage. Last week, we went through John, chapter 12, and I actually read this part in your hearing, but I felt this week that I was uh, called by the Lord to go back over it. So go with me to John, chapter 12, verse 44, and everybody say, keep his word. Amen. Today we're going to learn about keeping the words of Jesus. This was mentioned last week, as I said, but I don't feel like I gave enough time to it to really give the expression of what Jesus was doing here. I feel like because I had to spend so much time last week dealing with how we can get to the point where God says, I'm done with you, and now we'll have eyes but not see, ears and not hear. How many remember that message from last week? That was pretty tough, right? Um, I feel that because I spent so much time there, I didn't get to emphasize the importance of the belief in Jesus with keeping his words. And I don't think that I can ever overemphasize that. I feel like in this um, generation that people take that for granted. You'll meet a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. How many have met those people? I believe in Jesus. You meet them all the time. But they really don't believe in Jesus. They really don't take him serious. They don't follow his words. And I want to really investigate what Jesus meant when he said these words about him speaking on behalf of the Father. And you know, of course, the uh, professor is going to come out in me. I got to go deep. Somebody say deep. Thank you. I got to go deep because I feel in our culture, we just do this like surface level understanding with Jesus and his words. And then we go into the different parts of our world with that surface level. And then we get our worldview rocked and people get uh, easily deceived because they don't see how deep the understanding of what Jesus is giving us really goes. As I've talked about here before, you know, oftentimes people in the science realm, you know, scientists will want you to take their words as if it's the gospel, as if they're inerrant. And yet science is continually updating their theories. There used to be a theory about the mind that's now being blown out of the water. And that, that's important to understand because they used to want to give people lobotomies, okay, to try to fix mind problems. And I feel that same thing is going to be looked at, like how we look at a lobotomy as being just absolutely ridiculous, the total opposite way you would want to solve a problem. I think that's how we're going to look at transgenderism. Give it time, five, ten years. You know, the society of that time is going to go, you were doing what to try to solve this problem? Like, it's going to seem that ridiculous. And you can look it up. Lobotomies, they were a real deal. Another thing was at a certain time in history was bloodletting, letting out your blood. You know, if you have problems, more than likely it's in your blood. So if you just drain out your blood and let your body make some new blood, the, you know, you should be fine. The bad blood's gone, new blood is in. How many know that's ridiculous? They were just bleeding people out. But that was like the science of that day. That was coming from authorities. Also, just another example is when you look at the Nazi Holocaust, the tip of the spear of the Nazi regime were the nurses 
I don't know if you ever thought about that, but I watched a whole documentary and it blew my mind because I didn't really think of it as who was the actual one turning on the gas showers at Outswitch? Like who's the one touching that button or who's the one, you know, experimenting on the children and doing all of these eugenics? It's not the soldiers. Like we get in our mind, you know, the soldiers because we look at the camps and we've watched Schindler's List and it's the soldiers who are controlling the environment there. But who's the one actually in the shower room? Who's the one that's actually in these rooms that are dissecting humans and promoting what would be known as eugenics, which is the idea that if evolution is true, so it's based on evolution, Darwinian evolution, if evolution is true, you can look around the world and pick any species you want, and you can find one kind or at least a certain kind of group in that species that are better than the rest. How many know a Rottweiler is better than a Chihuahua? Okay, like that doesn't take long to figure out. So if you're in the business of wanting to kill people and be at war, do you want your people to be Chihuahuas or do you want them to be like Rottweilers? Right, so, so it doesn't take very long for eugenics to develop, which is let's just control how people mate, and how people reproduce. Well, long story short, when you look at the nurses of that day, those nurses are operating on the assumption that their doctors are correct. They're operating on the assumption that the scientists who are giving the information to the doctors are correct. In other words, if you would have put one of those nurses on a lie detector test and asked them, do you sincerely believe you're bettering humanity by doing this? They would say, absolutely, and they would pass. And now think about doctors, scientists, nurses in abortion clinics. We look back at the Holocaust and we go, how in the world can someone do that who was in the medical profession, you know, put people to death? That's the opposite of healthcare. But they were convinced because of the people around them, the higher ups, the words that had been spoken to them, that they were doing something right. And I believe that we'll look back on abortion like the way we look back on the genocide of eugenics in Nazi Germany. Society will be like, that was crazy. How did anyone go along with that? And of course, I could take the same journey into slavery, into oppression, and so forth. But this topic touches on all of that. Because Jesus is telling us how to live. We need to believe in him and keep his word. Could you believe in Jesus and keep his word and begin to dissect human beings and try to change their genders? No, you, you would be totally out of your mind if you think the Bible supports any of that. Would, when the Bible says life is in the blood, would you think that drawing people's blood out and letting it drain out is a part of the solution? No, you would think something's wrong with what's creating the blood, and we got to fix the problem that's there, not the blood itself. Because if a person doesn't have blood, they don't live. We, we, would, we would help ourselves. Society would be better even in every scientific realm if the scientists started off with prayer Ask the Lord to guide them and then lead them in the experiments and medical world that they're going to be in. Can I hear an amen? 
Amen. And it applies to politics. It applies to our jobs. And so often, like I've said, we just give this a surface level understanding. Ah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I keep his commands. I don't murder anybody. As if that's all Jesus ever said. I mean, I've heard that so many times. I'm a good person. And then, of course, you give them the good person test, and they fail because they're really not as good as they think they are. But that is like, to them, the gospel. That's the gospel to so many people. And we run right by these words, and we miss the importance of them. And so I just want to take our time because John really has a theme of light and darkness all throughout his gospel that starts in chapter 1 that we need to dig deeper into. And he also has this understanding, or that he's promoting to us rather, this understanding that the Word is Jesus, but Jesus also preaches the Word. So Jesus, in one sense, is the Word as a person, and as in, in another sense, he's giving us the Word, and he's not doing it merely like prophets who only get to, you know, slip into you know God's DMs every now and then. He's Jesus is FaceTiming with the Father all the time. Can I hear an amen? He's face to face with the Father. He's just not getting a couple emails, a couple Instagram comments. Like Jesus is face to face. That's what John is telling us. And we need to understand the importance of that as we harmonize with the other gospels because a gospel like Matthew is taking it a different direction and how he's explaining everything. He's going to lead the, the Jewish listener through the prophets and Jesus' fulfillment of them and then gently guide them into understanding that Jesus is Yahweh, the one of the Old Testament. And now with that authority of Yahweh, he's sending us out to be his disciples. That's what Matthew's going to do. John just kind of just hits you in the, the beginning with the punch of truth. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so by the time we're, we're getting to the middle here of his book, we cannot miss these key moments where he's wanting us to see that the reason that the Jewish people aren't seeing, aren't hearing, is because they're not believing, and they're not putting those words into practice. Because if they truly believed, they would put the words into practice, and then the light would turn on, and they could understand things. Let's look at it. Again, John chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus then cried out. See how important that is? Jesus is now crying out, raising his voice. When sometimes people say Jesus didn't raise his voice, there's a prophecy about that. What that's talking about is Jesus didn't raise his voice in a revolution. He didn't go to the town square and go attack because there's a prophecy in Isaiah that says he will not raise his voice. And then sometimes people will say, don't raise your voice. Remember that prophecy. Well, here you have to show them Jesus raised his voice. What it meant is you will not hear him, him, you will not hear him cry out, is he is not going to go into the political arena and make a spectacle. But Jesus is a man, and Jesus is a person of his culture, and Jesus is passionate. So he's crying out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. You see how important that is? I have come into the world as a what? As a light. Somebody say a light. Thank you. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. There it is. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about you should stay in technological darkness. If you know Jesus, he's going to guide you into inventions. You shouldn't stay in medical darkness. God is going to lead you into health care. 
You shouldn't stay in poverty darkness. God is going to lead you into prosperity. You shouldn't stay in relational darkness. He's going to lead you into relational life. Think of every sphere of life right now, and now imagine there being areas of darkness that need to be given light. Are you going to take Jesus' words into those places of darkness and bring light? How many trust Mark Zuckerberg with the metaverse? I don't. How many trust Bill Gates with vaccines? I don't. How many trust our presidents with what's best for our nation? I don't. And how many trust just authority in general? I don't. Police, military, we thank God for their service, but we know that a little bit of power can corrupt you in a lot of ways. And so we shouldn't naively trust anyone in those positions. Shouldn't trust our boss, our coworker. I even say to my children when they spend a night at Christian families' houses, how did they treat you? Did anybody touch you? Let me know. You should ask your children the same question if they spend a night at a pastor's house. Amen? And it's not that we want to be paranoid. It's just that we want to be realistic. If people do not have Christ, they're in darkness. And the moral lines that people will cross in darkness have no end. What I am now witnessing in my lifetime is absolutely shocking to me. And people cannot say this is how every generation thinks. You can't say that. Well, that's how the parents of the kids of the 60s thought, and that's how the parents of the 80s thought. No, it's totally different. We're on a totally different scale of what is darkness now. I understand if you were a parent from the 40s, you know, you're a person who was raised in the 40s or 50s, the greatest generation they call, you know, the great generation, and then you're raising your children in the 60s, watching them break cultural norms like growing their hair out or smoking weed or having sex outside of marriage to your traditional values would feel like your whole world is falling apart. But at the end of the day, Jimi Hendrix, Woodstock, and people like that still knew who what, a, what a woman was, still knew what a man was. Are you listening? They knew where babies came from. They knew that murdering each other wasn't the way to solve the world's issues, Okay. And they knew that Christianity had done a lot of good, even though they may not have always agreed with it, but the idea wasn't to get rid of Christianity or get rid of religion in general, okay? You look at even the greatest, you know, voices of that time, believed in God or the Christian God. You are now living in a generation that can only be compared to certain pockets of paganism in ancient times. Think about that. You're not just in a post-Christian era in the United States of America and in the West, you are in a pre-pagan revolution. You are watching now what our disciples dealt with and hasn't been dealt with since the Western world became the dominant force. You are now looking at infanticide being popularized. That has not been a part of empires since the time of Rome and Greece and Sparta when they would throw out their unwanted children or the times of Molech or here, you know, in Latin America when they would burn their children for sacrifices. You're, you're now encountering something that has not existed on this planet for thousands of years. When you're talking about worshiping false gods and you're talking about anything goes in morality, you're talking about paganism. 
And out of religious beliefs right now, neo-paganism is the fastest growing in the West. As I've shared with you before, I've had to now do apologetic Bible study encounters with people who believe in Thor and are Vikings. I sat right there and had to do it with people that we met online that came to us because we were preaching in front of the, um, the psychics and they wanted to come and defend them. And we set up a time to meet with them. And they came here with Thor's hammer around their neck and said, one of them said, I used to be, or I, you know, I am. He said, I'm the son of a missionary and I used to be on the mission field with my Christian family. He said, now I believe in Odin and Thor. I am now this. That's the world that we live in. Because we're living in a pre-pagan revolution. Like if this goes the direction that they want it to go, the book of Revelation will be the daily newspaper for the Christian church. Things that we used to think were not possible will be possible in front of people's eyes. And we've known that, you know, those of us who have been woke, those who have the real awakening, we've known that. But the world doesn't know that. And so they think that what we're doing is asking them to go against the light. They think that this new information they're being given, you know, when I was talking to these people who offer up blood sacrifices to their demon gods online, these witches and these different people in neo-paganism, they think that this is something that has been hidden from them because there's so much truth in it and there's so much light and how dare us as patriarchal, white, privileged Christians take this away from them, you know? They want to go back to worshiping their, their pagan roots. And I remember, you know, one woman, uh, she was, you know, Latin American, and she was upset that I called her God a demon, you know. And then she, she wants to worship the God of the Aztecs. And this, is, and this is to them the truth. But the Bible says it's darkness. Now, how would you talk to somebody like that? You go right to the story of the Bible, and they say, well, I don't believe your Bible. And of course, there's, there's different responses that we give here. But the thing that I would want you to focus on is ask them, who are you listening to? When people make a trade, especially now in our generation, uh, when, when people do this, they don't realize the cost of making that trade. When people now, like that missionary son, says that I serve Odin, I'm now a Viking, I believe in this, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't think they've totally counted the cost. They don't really know what they've gotten themselves into. And that's why I like to ask them the questions that Christianity used to answer. And I want to see, do they have light for it? So the first question is, how did the universe begin? Did one of these gods create the universe? Are they the creator? What have they told you about their creation? The Bible says in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. When I spoke to you guys about this before, and I shared with you that the smartest man on the planet believed in an eternal universe, that was the days, that, that was the science of that day. The Christians have always held to a beginning point of the universe. They now call that the Big Bang. How many know that would be embarrassing or potentially embarrassing for you if you're a Christian studying under Albert Einstein and he's trying to show you on the board with his math that the universe has always existed? And you got a Bible that says there's a beginning point to it. And yet his math was wrong. You wouldn't have known. Most of us wouldn't have known how to correct his math. But his math was wrong. He was using it to support a faulty belief. He was in darkness. 
Here's Jesus with the light telling us in the beginning, and yet he doesn't want that. He thinks he knows better than that. It's the same thing today with neo-paganism. It's also the same thing with the, the now the new sexual revolution, that, that it doesn't just stop with transgenderism. Now it's like tran-animalism, people believing that they're animals. How many have seen that? And it's not just us as Christians exploiting the slippery slope, going, this is where it leads, and there's just a few bat, you know, bat nutty people we're pointing to. No, this is becoming normal. This is normalized. It started off as fetishes and people dressing up as furries and animals, and then into homosexuality, putting leashes on each other, and then these kind of masks and these animal-like masks, and then now it has moved into the body, you know, disfiguration with the way that they can slit their tongues to be serpents or to put in their horns and these different things. This is just the beginning. It's not like they're saying we're going to slow down in this if they can have their way in the culture. They want that to be promoted as another way of looking at humanity. And of course, it finds its roots in the darkness of evolution. If you say that we've come from the goo through the zoo to you, then why not take a couple steps back if that makes you happy? If your great ancestor was a lizard, then why can't you be a lizard now? If your great ancestor was a fish, why can't you be one now? Right? If your great ancestor was a dog, why can't you be one now? And then now we see in the same ridiculousness, the same darkness, is that not only is there like trans-animalism, there's trans-ageism. Of course, now this is opening a door for pedophilia. Grown adults saying, I'm a three-year-old. I want to wear diapers. And we talk about this oftentimes in our church, and we go, yes, they're sinners and they're wicked, but we need to take a moment and understand why they're sinners and they're wicked. They think they're better than Jesus. They think they don't need Jesus' light. And now they are supporting people that think they're three-year-olds that need to defecate on themselves and have their diaper changed. How is that working for you, society? Oprah, how is this working for you? Because of your pre-pagan revolution, the pagan revolution that you wanted to start in the 80s, along with all those at that time. How is it working for you now? Your children don't know their gender. They don't know their species. They don't know even their age. Now, I want you to think as well about this. Imagine me preaching this because I have been for many, many years, but this was not manifesting. Imagine how people responded to me back then 10, 15 years ago. I remember one homosexual saying to me the joke that would come along. It was, you know, popularized at this time, but I remember one actually saying it to me. Hey, man, you want to know the gay agenda? It's go get coffee and hang out with my boyfriend today. That's all my agenda is. That was the joke. You know, they didn't have an agenda. There, there wasn't really a conspiracy uh, going on behind the scenes. There wasn't a power play going on. And for that person, that, that might have been very true. They might have just been an ordinary, non-politically involved homosexual that just wanted to go and live life. But Christians knew from the very beginning that the moment you accept darkness into sexuality, there'll be no end. The moment you deny male-female relationships, there'll be no end to where you can go in denial in darkness. And I see parents here with their children. Thank you for bringing them. And as you can see, I'm trying to keep it PG-13. I'm not a shock jock. I'm just here to tell you what's happening in our culture. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. 
Oftentimes, people in this culture don't take a good look at Jesus. They say they believe in him. Even all these people that we talked about, I still believe about 70% of them would still say they believe in Jesus. The one that wants to be an animal will say they believe in Jesus. The one that wants to deny their age will say they believe in Jesus. I do see a rise of those disbelieving in Jesus, but you would be shocked to how much now this is being incorporated into the church. Dr. Michael Brown on his uh, podcast there and, and on YouTube has a debate between him and a homosexual pastor that affirms all of these things. And the problem is, is they're not looking at Jesus. They don't want to look at Jesus and see the Father. They want to look at Jesus as they look in a mirror and see whatever they want. But when you look at Jesus, you see a character, as the Bible says in the Greek, you see an expression that is literally the ring imprint of the Father. And there's nobody like him, and he represents the Father perfectly. What do we see from Jesus? Is that there is a good and there's an evil. We see from Jesus that there's a right and there's a wrong. We see from Jesus that there are commands that need to be obeyed, and they're not just for us to play our version of Dungeons and Dragons here on Sunday. Because that's what this could just become. I'm a level four warrior in the Lord. I'm taking down demons. Let me roll the dice. You know what I'm saying? Let me roll my dice. I've been watching Stranger Things. They like to play D&D. And that's what people think like in the church is what's happening. It's just Christians playing their own version of Dungeons and Dragons. Rebuking the devil, casting the devil out every week. I bind this, I bind that. Nothing really changing. And then going out into the world and now saying, okay, we're done LARPing, live action role play. I'm done dressing up like I'm Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, right? I'm going to go out now and have a real job. I'm going to go out now and do real stuff. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. He is crying out. And he is saying, if you don't believe, if you don't see, if you don't obey, as we're going to hear in the next verse, if you don't see, believe, and obey, you are in darkness. There is no middle ground here. There is no place where you could say, well, this person over here doesn't obey Jesus but they somehow still are not in darkness. No, you don't believe in Jesus, you're in darkness. You're going to remain in that darkness. In darkness, everybody get this, please. Darkness will be compelling as it draws you in. I think what we learn from all of these different fictional tellings of good versus evil is that darkness doesn't always show up in ways that we can easily recognize. I was watching uh, Spider-Man 3 yesterday with my kids just hanging out you know, just Netflixing and chilling. And then I don't think I'll spoil it for anybody because it's been up for like 20 years. But there's a part of Spider-Man 3 where this goo comes to earth in this meteor and it transforms him into an evil Spider-Man. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have seen this one before? But it doesn't just come to him and transform him without him already having something for it to cling on to. It only emphasizes and over-exaggerates and multiplies and intensifies the bitterness and the anger that he has already been building up in his own selfish ambition. He's selfish. He's not 
the nice Peter Parker that he used to be. He's not paying attention to others anymore. And he's carrying down deep inside resentment and bitterness. I see that as so true to what happens in this world. The devil doesn't come and just make sinners just totally wicked all because of his influence. Satan comes to sinners in the darkness of their soul where they don't have light, where they can't see, and he entices them. He intensifies those desires so that they'll go into it and give him the power and the control that he desires. And then he'll take them to places that they never thought they would be. Spider-Man never thought after that empowerment of darkness came upon him that it would take him as far as it did. And generally, by the time it goes to those places, it's too late to stop it. There needs to be an outside intervention. And that is what our culture needs. We need an outside intervention. We cannot fix ourselves because we are broken in ourselves. I can't fix you. You can't fix me. We're both in darkness without God. Our ideas don't work. And think about how many times we try the same dumb ideas over and over and over again. And I say this with all compassion and love. I have so much heartache for the black community because of what they've been through and then because over and over and over again, the devil keeps wanting them to focus on their race to form within them a religious identity. I wasn't around in the 70s or 60s and 70s and 80s when the nation of Islam rose up to the east, my brother to the east, Malcolm X, the Black Panthers, and all of these groups came together. But I am now witnessing over a thousand men dressed like Jewish people come to a professional basketball game shouting out, we got good news, we're the real Jews. And we've been talking about that in this church, haven't we? And because the sleeping church of the black community has been whooping and hollering, bishops driving nice cars, now we have to pay the bills of this backslidden church and go out there and rescue them. But where were the pastors? Where were the teachers? Where were the leaders when this was happening? They were out going to another $400 conference, going to another place to get loosed again. And now you're seeing probably the largest, they're estimating there's over a million, the largest African-American cult raise up is happening right now in your generation. This is probably going to outnumber Islam if we do not bring a solution to our African-American brothers and sisters. And it breaks my heart. It does. It breaks my heart. Because you got white cracker pastors not caring. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You got the Anglo churches, they don't even care. You got most churches right now, they don't even care. You got people on TBN or whatever's popular now on YouTube whooping and hollering, just letting the urban communities and African American communities be overwhelmed with darkness. You know what I feel like when I'm watching this? I feel like I'm in one of those shows that I like where everyone starts to get consumed with the darkness. Everyone starts to become the zombie. Whatever scenario you want to take in these fictional movies, it's where you're one of the only ones that's not in darkness anymore. Have you seen a movie like that? 
A show like that where the darkness just consumes and consumes and consumes and it gets to the point where you look at the good guy, the good person, the good woman, and you go, how will they stop this? Like Lord of the Rings, Mordor is consuming everyone. And the Avenger movies, the aliens are taking over. Everyone is getting taken over by them. And the walking dead, everyone's getting infected with this disease. They are all now a subhuman. Darkness surrounding our land. Where's the church, brothers and sisters? Where's the church? Where are the people of God crying out aloud? Where are the churches of New York or wherever the bar is the Barclay in New York where they're going? Houston, Texas, or something. I don't know where the Barclay is. Look up one where the Barclay. California? No, no. We're looking at the, the stadium. No one here knows sports. They are protesting in front of the Barclay Stadium. It is New York. Thank you, my sports fan. <laughs> my brother. What part of New York? New York, New York? Brooklyn, okay. Where's the church? How many Christians are in Brooklyn, New York? And yet we don't see any response. I don't see. Maybe they're out there. Maybe there's a few scattered here and there. But my heart breaks for them. Just like for the Lollapalooza community, my heart breaks for them. They're in darkness. And we go out there, we pick a corner, we say, this is where we'll preach. And how does the Christian church respond to us? How do the Christians who walk by, because I don't think they're all hypocrites. I do think there was many genuine Christians who walked by us those days. How do they react to us? They react to us out of darkness. They don't care. So often when I talk to those groups of people, and, 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 they, and one says, well, I'm a Christian. Then I ask them, have you told him or her what I'm now telling them? Because how could you be a Christian and not share the truth with them? How could you be a Christian and allow this friend of yours to be in darkness? I want to make sure that the people in my life understand. You hear about my hobbies and different things. Man, everywhere I go, I share my faith. And sometimes it's received and other times it's not. But I'm not going to let a world remain in darkness without me doing something. Brothers and sisters, we cannot take this lightly. Look at what's happening to our culture. The black community, going back to that, why it breaks my heart, is what used to forward the Christian movement. I used to be able to go to the inner city even just 20 years ago and meet Christian praying parents and grandmas. That meant something. You would hear that even in the preaching. My grandmother prayed for me. And now grandma's a Hebrew Israelite. I remember that. When I first came here, I went to the south side and I saw this sweet elderly woman in this Bible study with this man believing this nonsense. And I was there by myself on the south side, in that church, because I didn't even know anybody else to bring with me at that time. Most of you were not even twinkles in your spiritual mom and dad's eyes. You were out at the club, <laughs> wiling out. And I'm so, you know why, why, why I was there? Is because when I was first here, I went on public access television. I, I've always tried to use whatever means I can to get the gospel out. So your pastor used to be on public access Chicago. 
I would drop off these DVDs. I would put, I still have them in their little cases. You could get them online uh, or buy them from the show, you know, all these things. Or I would give them away. It was like you could become a member and I would give them to you like that. But if you still wanted them, I'll hook you up. You know, I've always had that in my heart. But uh, somebody found me on there and basically, you know, got on the phone with me. Hey, white boy, I got some revelation I want to tell you. I'm the real Jew. If you want to learn about it, come to my Bible class on the south side. You know, whatever address, you know, something, something, south, this and that. I'm like, I'll be your huckleberry. I'll go out there. I'm so serious. I show up there. I had never even heard of the black Hebrew. I don't even know what's going on. But I'll be light in the darkness. But why hadn't I seen the black churches leading the charge? At that time, I was listening to T.D. Jakes. Why wasn't T.D. Jakes already talking about it? Why weren't all these Creflo Dollar pastors that I've listened to, whether you think I should be embarrassed or not, but I did, why weren't they saying something about it? Why wasn't something being told? Why am I showing up to what is now the largest cult of that community probably ever on our planet? Why am I showing up to that having to learn it myself? Now you said, what about what scripture? There was no website on it. There was no discussion in the other churches. Darkness. Same thing is, when I was preaching the gospel on Bourbon Street, hearing the clamoring of the gay community and what their agenda was and what they wanted, as I told you, being groped by these men right in front of me, they would look at me and they would just come and put out their hand and grope me with no shame at all. No shame at all. And I know, brothers, we would all say, you know, slap somebody who does that. But we're Christians. We love them, right? I slapped his hand away, told him not to do it again. But the, but the brazen pride that they had, it wasn't just good enough for them to be in their own sin and wickedness. They wanted it to be pushed onto me. They wanted that spidey goo that I believe eventually makes venom, right? Doesn't that goo make venom? Yeah. They wanted that goo to be on me. Get this goo all over you. I remember also being on Bourbon Street preaching, and some of these young men who were pimping out there wanted to make it their goal to cause me to fall. I'm going to get you to get one of my girls. I'll give you this girl right here. They would come to me and tell me that quite often because they wanted me to fall. They would give me a girl for free so that I could stop preaching out there darkness. The same thing is with our government. When they say to our churches, hey, stop saying such and such a thing and we'll ensure that you can have tax exemption. Stop saying such and such a thing and we'll give you these PP loans or whatever. Stop saying such and such a thing. Be, be likable in the culture and we'll let you pray at the prayer breakfast with the president. Brothers or sisters, we don't need anything from this government except for them to repent and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen? That's all we need from them. But, that, but that's commonplace now. Where they've said to us, think about this, there should be a separation of the church and state. But because the church has left the state, the state is now controlling the church. The very ones who are saying there should be a separation in one, in, out of one side of their mouth, out of the other side of their mouth, are saying the state should control you. Well, which one is it? Which one is it? Is it that I get to have my own religious autonomy or do you get to control me? Because you can't say separation of church and state and then want to control me. 
and call what I'm saying preaching from this pulpit hate speech. And yet what is so ridiculous to me is that during this time, you can have people like the man they call Bishop Nathaniel from the movement of the United in Christ, Black Hebrew Israelites, you can have them on the Glenn Beck show. I was listening to one of these interviews, and this man, African-American, calls himself a Christian and has no response to him other than, I just don't know how that sounds. I don't know if I agree with that. And I'm thinking to myself, that goo that is in this man's heart is going to get all over you unless you have a defense to it. The spreading of legalism went so fast in the church that Paul started seeing Peter and some of the apostles start going towards that legalism. Don't you remember the book of Galatians? Even Barnabas started getting swayed and said, I don't know, Paul, if I'm on your side, I think I'm starting it to see it this way. That's how much of that goo started getting into the church. And brothers and sisters, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do on your job? to bring the light? What are you going to do in your family to bring the light? What are you going to do in your culture to bring the light? What are you and I going to do in every social media sphere? We have to do something, and we have to do it like Jesus. Jesus confronted the darkness. Jesus did not run from the darkness. Think about it. Come on, where was Jesus confronting darkness? He was always there. That's why I feel in the Christian church we need to wake up and get back on the streets, the street evangelism. And I know many of you already know this, but send this message to someone who doesn't because oftentimes God gives me a message to summarize the worldview that we have. And I believe this is a good one for you to send to your friends and family for them to understand why you go to this church. Even as one was praying today, they were saying that their family wants to disown them and doesn't want them to be a part of this church. It's because of messages like this. I know most of you know this, but I'm saying this so that we don't lose sight of what Jesus was teaching us. Jesus was telling us this is the way it was going to be. He had to cry out and tell people about this. Believe in me. Believe what I'm telling you. I've come to bring you out of darkness. And now people want to run into it, want to run back to Judaism, want to run back into paganism, which Christ has brought us out of, run, out, run back into the sexual perversion of this world when Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free from the homosexuality of the pagans. Jesus came to set us free from the infanticide of killing our own children and enslaving people. Christians set the slaves free. Can I hear an amen? But it was only so long later that Christians would enslave in the name of Christ, right? Germany was a part of the Reformation. Germany was an intelligent society built upon Christian worldviews. When you look at where science was the best, where math was the best, where inventions were the best, it was in Germany because of their Christian heritage. But it only took a few years of them casting off their Christian heritage that they went and started killing the people of their Messiah, the Jews. And so, brothers and sisters, if you think darkness is, has made its way to the culture and that this is the worst as it gets, I'm sorry to say this is not as worse as it gets. This is just the introduction of what a world gone mad can look like. But we need to shine the light of Christ. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I do, did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And so what we see here is that right now in this context, Jesus is not going to strike them down like Moses did in the wilderness, like Elijah did in the time of the prophets with fire. He's saying, I'm not going to do that right now. I haven't come to do that. 
But he does say in verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. So his words will judge them. And of course, you can't separate the words from a person. And so the word of God, the person known as Jesus, will speak his words, the word of God, to the people. The person of the word will speak the word. Can I hear an amen? Thank you for hearing that today because a lot of people don't get that. They don't get that Jesus' words are going to judge people. Sometimes they think, well, it's just arbitrary. It's just us versus them. Some Christians get caught up in this idea that, yeah, the world is wicked, and they may agree with us and all these things. We talk about, uh, we've talked about this before, kind of like the red-pilled you know, Republicans or whatever, you know, the conservatives. Yeah, they're with us on all of these things, but they don't understand that the very words of Jesus will judge them because the words of Jesus deal with their issues too. That's why it's not going to be a Republican heaven. It's not going to be a politicized heaven. The kingdom of God is God's kingdom. It's Jesus' kingdom. It's Jesus' words. That's why before I ever knew about politics and before I ever had to preach and rebuke mayors and to rebuke governmental leaders, I was an equal offender of all of my friends and family. Before I had to speak to those out there, I was speaking to everybody around here, if you know what I mean. I know what it's like to tell a close friend, today if you were to die, you were to go to hell, and to see them get upset with me because they feel that's a betrayal of our friendship. Has anybody ever been there before? That when you say, these words, my friend, will judge you, and then they take it as if you don't love them, you don't care for them, you don't want the best for them. Man, I could weep right now thinking about my last conversation with one of my best friends. This young man was at that time always older than me, but he was young at that time. I was probably 19 years old, and he was maybe 22 or 23. Like I said, I always used to hang out with older guys. He was the first one that I got drunk at his parents' house. He took me under his wing, and you know, Three to five years is not a big age difference now, but when you're in high school, that's a big age difference, right? Like, that's the difference between, like, you going to high school and the other one not going to high school, you know? And I remember my last conversation with him. We were sitting on our skateboards, and he was like, man, what happened to you? I heard from such and such that you became a Christian. And I was like, yeah. You know, I've come to Christ. I believe in Jesus. And I'm like, what do you think about Jesus? And he's like, man, I don't know. You know, that's not something I ever think about. And I began to share with him the gospel. This is the truth of God. This is not something that I just jumped into like I just made this stuff up. This is the word of God. This has been around longer than our skateboards. This has been around longer than our heroes like Tony Hawk and all of these other ones. And I remember him looking at me, trying to muster up as much support as he could without agreeing with me. And he basically said, man, I'm happy for you. I hope that works out for you. But I just don't want anything to do with that. And basically at that time, I was kind of an all or nothing. I didn't know how to build friendships in the long term. <laughs> so I basically said, oh, I don't want anything to do with you then, man. I, I, I mean, if you're not down with Jesus, I'm not down with you. And it wasn't meant to be a disrespect to him. It was just two dudes keeping it real. Man, he was just like, I don't want anything to do with that. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be hanging around with you then, you know. But it broke my heart 
because there was nothing else I could say to him to convince him of what God had done in my life. But yet at the same time, I was responsible to now tell him his judgment. It was like I wish I could pause his life, go you know, 20 years in the future because I don't feel he's living a happy life now. He's not on social media, but his friends are, and, and they're also my friends, and they're definitely not of a sound mind living a happy life, okay? Most of them baby mamas on drugs, still pretending like they're 20 years old. You know those kind of lifestyles. And I look at them. And I look at my friend and I go, I wish I, could fa- I wish I could have fast forwarded him all the way to that moment and then fast forward my life and say, do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between light and darkness? I'm not just playing a game here. And he wasn't a D&D. I- I'm not just playing Dunsons and Dragons, bro. I've met Jesus. And there's a change. I remember one of my friends... He came to hear me preach not too long ago, maybe five years ago. Hadn't seen him in years. He came to the service and he said, I'm still waiting for you to say, hey guys, I'm just kidding. If you ever saw the movie Dumb and Dumber 2, <laughs> kind of reminded me of my friend. I'm like, man, you should write comedy because that was before that. He thought I was in some 20-year-long practical joke. But at the end of my sermon, you know what he said to me? And I've said it here before, but it's good to say it again. You know what he said to me? He said, bro, there's two things about you I can say for sure. Number one, I have never understood a pastor more when they have talked with a microphone. I half the time don't know what they're talking about. I have never understood more what's going on up there. And number two, I have never been offended more <laughs> than hearing you. Like, just imagine, right? I mean, he hasn't been in church ever, maybe a wedding or something, and he's hearing me say the whole spiel. What do you think that was for him? That was like a total mind blow for him. It was a shock. Like, you guys still talk like this? You still believe in hell? You still believe in sexual sin? You still believe that those who have sex outside of marriage are sin? You believe this? Yeah, we believe it. But you know what? I've had people sit in this church and say, thank you, Joe, for my my old life. I just had the guy write me the other day and say, keep doing what you're doing. I'm tracking with you. And he was one of them. The one that said that to me was an older drug dealer as well. And uh, I hung out with skaters and drug dealers, basically. That's the kinds of people. Sometimes they overlapped. But it was basically like the skaters were like the alternative crowd, and then the drug dealers were like the urban crowd for me leaving my sub- suburban area. Not to say you couldn't be a suburban drug dealer. I mean, it does come there. You can deal drugs. Like one of my friends in the suburbs deal drugs. We called him Khufu Manchu Man. Uh, he was half Korean and half Anglo. I mean, that's, that was his nickname. I mean, he loved it. As much as I know, we still call him that today. I don't know if I'm being racist towards my Korean friend. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But we called him Khufu Manchu Man. And, uh, yeah, he sold drugs. But, you know, you had to go downtown to get the real stuff, and that's really where he made his money. So that's where we started doing our little our, our dirt. And so I hung around those two groups. Well, this one guy that I used to live downtown with came to this church a few years ago. And he sat here, and he said, man, it's amazing to hear you preaching like that. I'm so proud of you. And he tells me his stories about what God did in his life and God's working on him. And he just wrote me the other day, and he said, man, we need to catch up. And I pray that he's a Christian. He says that he is. I don't know him well enough to test his testimony. But I know he confesses Christ, and he affirms what I'm doing. And he used to be one of the worst drug dealers. 
And one of the funny stories that I always tell about him is that he got kidnapped in Chicago. So whenever white boys from Fort Wayne tried to do business around here, they ended up in trunks. <laughs> Seriously, two of my friends got kidnapped in Chicago <laughs> coming from Fort Wayne. We, we come into the big city, boys. Next thing, get in the trunk. Give me all your money. Drop you off at the lake. See you later, son. Yeah. That's why I tell you guys, I thank God I didn't grow up in Chicago. I probably would already be dead, man. I would have been shot up by some gang. I wouldn't have made it very long. So, you know, Fort Wayne was a buffer zone for us. But I love my friends. But I got to tell them judgment is coming. I love my sister, but judgment is coming to my sister. I love my neighbors of different religions, but judgment is coming to them. As I've told you before, many things you've heard here before, but I want to summarize it for you in this message because I don't think we take it as serious as we ought. My friends, uh, my neighbors and I are great friends. Some are Hindu, some are Muslim, some are Buddhist. We are great friends. We look out for each other. We take care of each other's yard. Uh, they let me come into their house and get whatever I need. They lend me their, their stuff. They give me things. They give me food. I mean, anything you want to talk about when it comes to a neighbor relationship, I have with my neighbors. As a matter of fact, some Muslim children have befriended my son. They're great friends. His name is Ali, and his family just lets him come over all the time, play in the backyard. Everybody say good neighbors. Thank you. But heaven is not their home. And I don't know always how to bring up those conversations with them, but I need to let them know that Jesus will judge them. I remember dealing with one of my neighbors who ended up becoming the Merced's landlord, who was a Buddhist, very successful as an IT man. We would go back and forth, back and forth. He would give me his videos. I would give him mine. And I remember we came to an impasse, a place that we couldn't cross, and it was over the person of Jesus up until that point, in his mind, he thought that his Buddhism welcomed Jesus and that he had Jesus on his team. He thought up until that point that Jesus and him were cool. But I was now showing him clearly that he was an enemy of Jesus. That he was not on the side of Jesus. And I remember him saying this to me. Well, then maybe I don't need Jesus. Maybe he's not that important. Because I don't see Jesus the way you do. And I said to him, my friend, Jesus is the most important. There is nobody else like Jesus. And then everybody get this. Everybody get this. Please look at me just heart to heart. I then had to share with my neighbor who I've gone to trampoline parks with, shared meals together, danced Bollywood with. That was a scene with his kids in his living room. Anybody ever danced Bollywood before? You know, you know having fun with his kids. I had to look at my neighbor and say, today if you were to die, you would go to hell. Jesus will be your judge. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's what I, I had to look him in the eyes and speak those very things to him because that was the words of Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus. He needed to hear that. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And now, what can you say? This person is held responsible. There is no way they can make an excuse. Now look at what Jesus says at the end, for I know, or I know that this command leads to eternal life. 
So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. I just wanted to make sure I went over that clearly, but now I got some scriptures I want to go through, starting with marriage. And I'm teasing because my message will be shorter than my introduction. Scroll down for me, please, brother. Or um, refresh because I got them in in the back there. Today, if you and I do not accept the teachings of Jesus, we'll be judged, right? But what about the world? Will they too be judged? Are they going to have a different standard? No. So how often have you shared with your friends and family and those around you about the judgment to come? I know for me it becomes very easy to neglect that message because I feel like I don't need to keep saying it. But I feel like I do. I don't feel like I've said it enough. This is me, your pastor, talking. I don't feel like I've said it enough, but we need to explain it. How many of you right now could explain God's definition of marriage from the Bible, what Jesus taught? You need to be able to because friends and family do not have the right definition of marriage. Jesus said these words, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female for this reason a man will leave his father and a mother will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no one separate. Now do I believe that divorce is a forgivable sin? Yes. But it's a compound sin and it even leads to adultery even if it's not intentional. And so because the Christian culture, the Bible Belt, stopped affirming marriage, we broke down marriage first with divorce. Is it any wonder that the children of divorce have no honor for marriage? If I were to ask you to stand up, and I won't do it because I've done it before. I pretty much already know the numbers. But if I were to ask you to stand up, those of you who were raised for 18 years by your birth mom and by your biological dad, there would hardly be anybody standing, maybe four or five. One percent, two percent, five percent in this church. No more than ten percent raised by biological moms and dads. Why? Because we don't care in the culture about it. We didn't think it mattered. That's exactly the reason why we don't understand gender is because people didn't grow up with both genders. And I know that there's always exceptions. People say, well, I grew up in a great family and I'm still this way. There's other explanations. I'm not trying to oversimplify. But majority of those in these, these perversions come from broken families. That is a fact. And why is that broken family so prevalent in our culture? Because we're in darkness. And some of you Christians, everybody look up at me, please. Some of you Christians will live in that darkness unless you know how to work on your marriage. You will think you're better than the one that's not LGBT, whatever, but you're willing to give up on your marriage. You're not staying true to your marriage. You're not working through your marriage. You're not growing in your marriage. Therefore, you're a part of the very same root that's bearing this ungodly fruit. Divorce should be so rare in the Christian church that you shouldn't even be able to think about who you know that is a Christian that has been divorced. That's the way it used to be. But now if I ask you as brothers and sisters here, how many Christians do you know that are already divorced? Many Christians would say, my friends, most of them have had a divorce, even as Christians. What we're experiencing in our church is rare to see so many couples get married young and then to live long lives for Jesus is rare. 
It is not even common in churches, brothers and sisters. What we see is that God told us there would be a penalty. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 24, please. And I'm not just talking about the last virus that came out to the homosexual community. What was that virus? Monkeypox. I'm not just talking about monkeypox, though that is a part of it, but the Bible says in Romans 1.24, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Notice that's how it starts. Where it ends is 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. But where did it start? It started with degrading their bodies. It started with men degrading women's bodies, women's degrading men's bodies, people degrading their own bodies. You can't cut up a body that you honor. All of these things we see in the letters of L, lesbian, L, G, gay, B, bisexual, T, transgender, is all a degrading of the body. It's all a degrading of the body. And yet, It's being accepted now because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Can I get an amen from Metro Praise? Amen. So God gives them over. Why? Because it started with the degrading of the body. I haven't watched the show, but I've heard about it. Mad Men, this kind of looking up to the perverse men of the past, the patriarchy as it were, the wasp, the white affluent, what's the other part of it, SP? Anglo-Saxon Protestant. So the show Mad Men kind of glorifies it no different than um, Desperate Housewives glorified that part of the, the sexual degradation. But listen, my friends, whether it looks like Mad Men or whether it looks like cute little Eva Longoria, It's all the degrading of God's image in us. And it leads us down this path of darkness. And someone needs to stand up and shout out and cry out like Jesus said and say, believe his words and keep his words and see the light. Amen? Amen. Going back to our notes, moral purity over the Jewish law. When you look here at Mark chapter 7 and onward, Jesus says, why are you so stupid? Why are you so dull? Why are you so ignorant, he said. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach, then out their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods as clean. He went on to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Even stupidity is a sin. Come on, somebody. All these evils come from where? Inside and defile a person. That's why when we look to our social programs, if we don't deal with the inside, all we're doing is painting the puke. We're painting the crap. I'm trying to think of another word. Does everybody get what I'm trying to say? We're painting the feces. That's all we're doing. Do you want to have that stuff in your house? What comes out of a man through the digestive system? If you paint it up, if you put some things on it that would appeal to you, would you still want it? It's gross, isn't it? But that's exactly the example 
that the Bible is given. When you're eating food, it comes out of you. It comes out of you. So that's not the issue. What the main issue is, is what's coming out of your heart. And is it like the feces or the the puke? Is it like this that is disgusting or is it that which is pure? In the second service, by God's grace, I'll be teaching out of Hebrews about the word of God being sharp sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce between soul and spirit, marrow and joint, joint and marrow, discerning our hearts. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to take time on this because it's almost going to be like a part two. So this week, if you have time, make sure you listen to it because it's only by the word of God that I know what any of these things are. Everybody would agree that certain sexual immoralities are wrong, like rape is wrong, and that's a sexual immorality. But how do they know? that what they're doing is right or wrong. They don't. Unless they come to the Bible, it's just whatever culture says. Okay, it's wrong to have sex with children, but an adult can pretend to be a children, a child and have a fetish. Oh, it's wrong for rape, but you can have these kinds of encounters with other people in bathrooms and so forth or on TV or in pornography. You see, without understanding the human heart, people will be deceived by the wickedness and the evil that is there. How do we know what greed is? How do we know what malice is? How do we know when we're fighting for the right cause? When I stand out there in front of the abortion clinic, I like to appeal to the imago Dei, the image of God in them. And I say, I know that you're angry about things. I know that you want justice. The problem is your justice compass is off. It's pointing in the wrong direction. Your anger compass is off. And yet we live in a world where this is accepted. Everybody get this. And Jesus said to us, where it comes from is it comes from your evil heart. They come from inside of you. And they defile you. And then I think about, you know, I just can't point at these other folks. Then I think about my own self. And I think about, How if I, and just scroll down here, Matthew 7, in closing here, Lawrence, would you come please? How if I don't build my life on Jesus' words like a person builds on a foundation, I will be deceived by my own thoughts. Have you ever been there, Christian Christian brother or sister, deceived as a Christian by your own thoughts? So we just can't point at the world and say, over here, over here is all the bad stuff. Over there is all the bad stuff. No, we have to be able to say, sometimes the bad stuff is right here. Right here, it's, it's, it's bad. Pray for me, brother. Pray for me, sister. I'm being tempted in these ways. And I know oftentimes my friends just want to cast the demon out of greed, the demon out of this. But friends, you can't cast the flesh out. At some point after deliverance, you're still going to be tempted. I know sometimes people have heard me confess that I know that I have an anger uh, temptation or that I have a perversion temptation and a jealousy temptation. Well, Pastor, we just need to get you deliverance. First of all, I want to deliver you from the spirit of stupid. And second of all, I've already been delivered and I'm still being tempted. And if you're being honest, you will say that as well. I remember one friend that was into all that goofy stuff. And he used to write music, and you used to play it in your shop, Juan, and I won't mention his name. Good Christian brother, but he got this goofy idea 
that you can get so delivered that you'll never be tempted again. Not that you won't give in to temptation or find it desirable. I've talked about not wanting to find my anger desirable. So it's not that I want to say, oh, I wish I could do X, Y, and Z. And I don't want to see my perversion desirable and say, well, if I wasn't following God, I'll do X, Y, and Z. Yes, God can change the heart of the desire. But to say you won't be tempted is to put yourself even above Christ. Right? Is everybody listening? That man divorced his wife, went back to drugs. The very one who was trying to convince me that he was better than me, that he understood something about this better than me, is now backslidden, divorced from his wife, broke his deals that the cloud funding or a crowdfunding was doing for his next album. I've looked at some of those comments and they're like, where's my album, dude? Don't lie to yourself, brothers and sisters. Take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. You better guard your heart and your mind and watch what you're building. And then lastly, Jesus' ethics. Jesus' ethics is everything. There is never a part of our life. I, I, I hope I've given you enough examples today. But I just want to say this so clearly. There'll never be a part of your life where this is not relevant. You could be on the space station today, and there have been Christian astronauts up there, and this is relevant. Because if you do not have a humble spirit, if you do not have mourning over your sin or meekness, if you do not hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you're not merciful or pure or a peacemaker and willing to suffer for the righteousness of God, you're in the space station on your way to hell. It doesn't matter today if you have the most money in the world if you are not living by Jesus' commands, if Jesus inside of you today, brothers and sisters, is not inspiring you to be poor in spirit, do you even know him? If he is not inspiring you to mourn over your sin, it's not a depressive mourn, blessed are those who mourn. If he's not inspiring you to mourn over your sin, do you even know him? Are you hungry for righteousness? Hungry for what God has. If there are hungers in your life, appetites that surpass your appetite for God, do you know him? Because this is the Christian life, amen? Would you stand up to your feet today if you're going to keep his words? Would you bless him today with a hand clap of praise? Somebody say, I'm going to keep his words. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Second service, folks, thank you for your patience. You guys can start to come in for prayer if you want. We'll dismiss right after this out the side door. But I want to make sure that we pray for those here today who have not been keeping his word. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, would you repent of your sins and pray your right now? You don't have to worry about what anybody else would think. It's between you and Jesus. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. I want to keep your word. And if you've been here today as a Christian, and yet there's conviction in your heart today, would you come into the light and follow Jesus? Would you see the Father in Jesus today? And anyone who wants prayer, please come up. Let us pray for you with any need that you have in your life. I know there's a lot of sick. We'd love to pray for those that want to stand in the gap for them. Or if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with power and the ability to be a witness for God, to go into these dark places, we'll pray with you or healing. But brothers or sisters, let no one leave out here without keeping the words of Jesus. They're the most important words we'll ever hear. They're words that you can stake your life on and build a good life upon. And no matter where you go in life, those are the words you and I should keep. So, Father, I ask that we'll keep those words. We'll live by those words. 
that will bring light into every place that was mentioned here today. And every group that was mentioned, from the black Hebrew Israelites to the LGBT uh, community to the liberal churches, oh God, we pray for revival to come to them, salvation to come. We pray for repentance to come. We pray that the world religions of our neighbors and of the city will see Jesus, your son today. We pray for Muslims. We pray for Buddhists. We pray for Hindus. We pray for the Jewish people that everyone will have an encounter with you, that we'll see the greatest days of the church before the end times. Father, it's in his name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless him, saints?